Welcome to the Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of the Just Pod. Today, we're continuing our discussion with Jack Donson around the Bureau of Prisons and Best Practice Tips. Before we continue our discussion, which is going to focus on the most frequently asked questions that Jack receives when he's out doing his trainings, I'm going to go ahead and just repeat his professional background for you. He was with the Federal Bureau of Prisons as a Correctional Treatment Specialist and Case Management Coordinator. And now Jack wears several different hats. Jack is the president and founder of My Federal Prison Consultant, LLC. He's the VP Operations and co-founder of Prisonology and director of programs and case management services for FedCare. Also the executive director of Out for Good and a board member of Choosing Integrity. Jack, you were good enough to share with me some of the most common questions that you get when you go around and perform these trainings because you allow for people to submit questions. So let's walk through a few of those. What is the difference between a BOP case manager and a BOP counselor? This raises a smile to my face because people used to say, Donson, my counselor Donson, I used to say, don't disrespect me like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it's funny because people hear counselor. And they think of the real world and they might think of like a clinical social worker or somebody doing some intense counseling and, and it, it's the opposite. Counselors are basically glorified correction officers, uniform staff. As far as the OPM policy classification, non-professional, don't require a degree. And really that role of counselor was developed way back to mentor the younger correctional officers. So counselors, you know, they never liked it when I used to refer to them as the gophers. They run the inmate orderlies and supervise mm -hmm. them. They pay the inmates. They process visiting applications. They would do a legal call. They do some custodial duties more routinely than other staff. So now let's talk case manager. Case managers, to me, move the mountains in the Bureau of Prisons. Most wardens, I would say, are ex-case managers. OPM professional series classification, college degree required. They are the ones that are trained in and performing this classification data, tracking program recommendations. They actually do counseling as well. So it's more of what you think when you think of the clinical social worker, you know, that's more what it is, the case manager, not the counselor. Okay. <laughs> not necessarily intuitive. So good to clarify that. The next question, is there a way for us to calculate our client security level or eligibility for certain prisons prior to them entering the Bureau of Prisons? Absolutely. And I don't expect anybody to be 100% rock solid on doing the classification, unless they have the time to spend, because it's fairly time consuming. But these major themes I referenced before, it's the same themes over and over again. So it's not hard to pick up on what I you know, refer to as those big ticket items. So there's a form on the internet called the BP-337. If you go to the BOP website, you could print them off. And you could try it yourself. And again, it's paint by numbers. You would get the classification manual 5100.8. You go to the specific chapter and you go down to the right and put numbers in there. And they're very simple. You know, age has a number associated with it. Criminal history points have a number associated with it. All these things are very easy to figure out. 
it gets a little nuanced with the instant offensiveity when I talked before about drug ways and going to the table and looking at the roles. But to be honest with you, this isn't rocket science. And we did some training in Connecticut with federal probation officers. Judge Underhill up there is a really proactive judge. And we had done some training for him. And he had us back to do the probation officers. They were at one point thinking of having their POs score this out. I don't think that ever came to fruition. I'm not sure. But I feel like probation officers also have some kind of role in this, you know, not to give them more work. How can we get a good outcome and, and not know a classification and a, the best fit facility for that person? Again, I think they leave it too much up to the Bureau of Prisons to make sure that's getting done. And there's no real accountability and oversight of that process. Yeah. The reality for us as a larger society is just considering mass incarceration and recidivism and all these things contribute to those things and whether we see repeat offenders after like you were talking about but that age classification that can create a career criminal like you were saying it's really important for discussion and appreciate you bringing it up on the podcast for us i have one more good analogy on the age it ties into a couple different areas i was just talking about not long after i retired i got a call and it was a new york city attorney who was doing some pro bono work and they couldn't figure out why his client was designated to i want to say it was the atlanta penitentiary and the guy's from new york and i you know obviously so let me see the pre-sentence report i went through it and not only i found scoring errors but also they didn't exercise the discretion of the lesser security variable but there's domestic violence. When it comes to domestic violence, the classification manual indicates you should score domestic violence as minor violence unless there's some overt acts that would make it rise to the greatest severity level. This person not only you know, didn't have any narrative, it's just a reference to domestic violence. There wasn't even a conviction for domestic violence and they had scored it as a greatest severity uh, violence, which was like seven points on top of the eight points for the age. And next thing you know, a young person who had really no heavy incarceration experience, a lot of prior arrests and minor stuff and probation, ends up in the penitentiary, you know, over a thousand miles from his family. And we were able to, took us six months, but we were able to get that corrected and the person transferred to a medium back to the Northeast. It took us about six months. But what damage is done to somebody arriving in penitentiary that far from home? People need to be more in tune with these issues. Right. Damage can be done quickly, as you've yep. indicated. Yeah. So um, the next question that's most commonly asked is, is there a way for us to determine which programming is available and where? This is really important. The Bureau of Prisons went away from transferring inmates for program purposes many years ago on any kind of a large-scale basis. But what they did do is they mainstream the programs in the various facilities. So they offer a lot of similar programs everywhere. But then there's what I call the higher profile programs and they're residential type programs, the residential unit setting, the Bureau of Prisons has moved to the therapeutic community model where the most common program we RDAP, the residential treatment unit, therapeutic community. But RDAP is only one of maybe eight or nine specialized programs around the country. The penitentiaries have the challenge program. 
There's a BRAVE program. There's a skills program. There's a HABS program. So the bigger point on all this is there's a national programs catalog published pretty much yearly. There is one from 2019 that does list those residential type programs as well as the criteria, as well as the facilities they're offered in. So in a perfect world, you would have an idea what the classification is. You would have an idea what program most benefits the client. And when you would go into court, you would simply support that particular program at that particular location. And if the classification was a one or, you know, maybe one level down, there's a program participation management variable to actually, they can assign to get somebody into a program like that. When I talked about management variables, greater security, lesser security, there's many. And there's one called program participation. There's one called judicial recommendation. There's one called release residence. And all this is in that same classification manual. Great. One last question that you get asked is, what can a defense lawyer realistically and practically do with Bureau of Prisons client placement? Well, other than what we're talking about now, making a recommendation commensurate with the facility classification and program needs, you could become more active in education as well in your local areas, maybe in your local courts and have the judges get more in tune to these things. But really, on an individual basis, client by client, you have to remember this. Everybody always throws their hands in the air. Oh, you call the Bureau of Prisons, nobody answers the phone. You know, well, there's a reason for that. Whether you want me to get into that after I explain this, you need to call your peers. There's a general counsel in Washington, D.C., and I'm not saying you call the general counsel Washington, D.C., but there's also general counsels in each regional office. Some facilities have staff attorneys. So what I like to tell attorneys is early on, you execute the certification of identity. It's the justice form. If you're the attorney of record in the pre-sentence report, I say you contact and look for some professional courtesy. Again, it's issue specific. You know, what do you really have going on? Are you going to call on every client and try to do this or try to do that? I'm just saying when it comes time where you want to reach out to the Bureau of Prisons, you're not calling the general phone number. You're trying to reach out to your peers as an attorney to attorney. And you're trying to advocate any way you can at that level first. And that's when the dialogue starts. I always talk about cultivating relationships. I attend the United States Sentencing Commission training every year where the BOP presents. I've watched BOP general counsel give out a box of cards to the people in the crowd, which are mostly probation officers, judges, and attorneys, and encourage them to call them. I refer attorneys all the time to the people that I meet or see or hear from the BOP at the upper levels. And I'm telling you that we have some good outcomes. That usually starts with contacting the general counsel. I've received your contact information from a colleague who met you with the training in Minneapolis, Minnesota two years ago. And here's what I got. And listen, sometimes you hit a wall and sometimes they help. It really depends on the issue. There's too much of an attitude of, well, we don't even try. You have to try the right way and at least try. And then once you cultivate that first connection, then the second call, hey, you helped me on this case. I mean, it's all about relationships. There's a lot of animosity towards the BOP. You know, all they do is get bashed in the press and all you hear about is all the sensational negative stories. But there's good people out there. And when you get a contact, you develop and cultivate that relationship and you use it. Well, I know you've indicated there's a lot more to cover and we'll try to get more discussion on this topic on the podcast. 
But in the meantime, for our listeners that have find themselves starting to have more questions now after listening to you, where can they just start to look to find more information on these topics of designations, classifications? There's a few places. We have a website company I founded, Wal Pavlo of uh, Rights for Forbes. We have a www.prisonologyx.com. We even have videos on there from myself and an RDAP clinical director of an RDAP program and some people that have done federal time. We put that website together a few years ago. So that's a good resource, prisonologyx.com. I'm on the corrections committee of the NECDL as well, and we're working on a how-to guide that should be on the website this year. That would be the NACDL that's not out yet. I recently did a great resource, two pages of resources for a lot of the things I talk about at a training I just presented in Austin, Texas, two weeks ago as part of the Winning Strategies seminar. And those materials should be available shortly on the AOUSC. It was sponsored by the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts. So that would be just the AOUSC training. And I'm glad you asked that too, because there's a lot of bad resources out there. Being a prison consultant is a seedier type of business, unregulated. So I shake my head half the time when I get calls because people are reading things that just aren't reality. You know, usually it's the naive spouse or elderly parents. And I get so many calls for people with just misinformation. You know, it's funny. I went the other day. I have a client going to Mashannon Valley Ice Facility. And I'm a BOP guy. I know things about Mashannon. I've had clients there. But I was just trying to do a little extra research on Michan and the things I saw on some of those websites just blew me away how inaccurate they were. There's a lot of information on the internet, but you can't assume it's factual and accurate. Stick with the big organizations like the ABA, the NACDL. And I, I feel our website is a great one. My website itself has some good information on it, mfpcllc.com. That's my federal prison consultant, LLC. So there's resources out there. Just be careful what kind of a resource you're looking at. Well, thank you. I'm sure our listeners appreciate it. We'll look forward to trying to get more information for our listeners and working with you in the future. So thanks again. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.